you're listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, coming to you from Fukushima Prefecture here in Japan. So I have just come back from a really fun weekend away. I went down to Tokyo for two days. I stayed one night down in Tokyo and I met up with some of my friends and I sat outside at beautiful cafes and ate delicious food and had like a three-tier afternoon tea and did all the fun things that you get to do when you're in Tokyo just really felt like I had blown out all the cobwebs of being (laughs) up here in Fukushima and spending a lot of time on my computer and not really seeing people face to face. So it was really such a refreshing weekend away. And I'm really glad that I got the chance to do that. So thank you to my support team here in Fukushima. It was my husband, basically, (laughs) who was in charge while I was away. Yeah, so you may or may not know that I have actually started another podcast. I swore I would never do this because podcasting is a lot of work. I won't lie. There's a lot of things that need to be done, recording and editing and, well, not editing and creating graphics and sharing it and getting people to listen. There are so many things that need to be done. But then the exact right chance came along to do a second podcast. But Instead of it being a solo show like this with interviews, it's actually in collaboration with Catherine O'Connell. The name of the new show is Jandals in Japan. It's a show for New Zealanders who want to know more about business and life in Japan, bringing New Zealand products to Japan, entering the Japanese market. So if that's something you're interested in, please hop over and support the show. We would really, really appreciate it. But When I was in the sort of development phase of the show, although I know how to do all of it, I was having this sort of why me moment. Like, why why are we doing this? Why should we be the ones to launch this show? And why hasn't anyone else done this? And then I just thought, well, who cares? (laughs) We're here. We're doing it. We have the, you know, everything to make it work. We might not be experts on every single industry in Japan, but we know enough to get started and to be able to bring out the knowledge from all our guests that we have coming on the show. And for me, it fulfills something that I hadn't quite managed yet in my life here in Japan. And it's something that's really important to me, which even as a high school student, I knew I wanted to do something that was helping people to understand each other, helping other cultures to understand each other and I thought that the way to do that was to become a diplomat and so I had my sights set on learning Japanese and doing a law degree at university and getting into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs becoming a diplomat and going all around the world and sitting in on negotiations and all these sort of things this that I had in my mind however when I got to university and realized exactly what studying law looks like and I realized what actually law is not for me and I gave up on that idea of creating international understanding because I thought that was the only way I could do it but now that I've been in Japan for 20 years coming up in this August I've realized that there are other ways that I can do this it doesn't have to be through that one way that I had envisaged as a 17-year-old in rural New Zealand. So creating this podcast definitely ticks that off. It's a way to help New Zealanders understand more about Japan, and it's a way to showcase my beautiful home country of New Zealand to Japan, Japanese people more. And 
getting to work with organizations both in New Zealand and Japan to facilitate that is something that I'm really super excited about and I would never have imagined that a few years ago. So it just goes to show that you just never know, right? You you never know where things are taking you. But if you have that goal in mind, even if it's it's not clear exactly how what the vehicle is that you're going to use to get there, the vehicle in this case, it's it's a podcast starting out as a podcast, and I'm not sure how it's going to morph as we go along. We've only recorded a few episodes so far, but it's definitely going to evolve and change as we move along. So at the moment, the vehicle is the podcast and using the connections and network that both Catherine and I have built over the 20 years that we've been in Japan So yes, so that's really exciting and I just wanted to share that with you and I hope that inspires you to think about whatever it is that you might have been dreaming about or thinking about and wondering how to get started. Just do something, yeah, and then the next step will appear to you, I'm sure. My guest today is Paige Baldwin-Ando from Whole Self Creative. She is a creativity coach. So I'm someone who grew up sort of thinking I was not so much the creative one in my family. There are some very creative members in my family, but it turns out I can be creative too. So this episode really speaks to me a lot, and I hope you'll enjoy the insights that Paige has about how we can be more creative or how we can get out of our own way when it comes to creating things. And she also talks about her lovely morning creativity group that she has every Monday morning, which I attended and I really enjoyed. So I hope that some listeners of the Transformations with Jane podcast will become uh, regular visitors to that creativity session. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi Paige, welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So Paige, please introduce yourself for all of our listeners. Sure. So I am a creativity coach. Um, I am originally from the U.S. I've been here for in in Japan for almost 20 years. Um, So a good long while. (laughs) And um, in my coaching life, I work with people from around the world uh, who are trying to get the most out of their creative work whether that means um, really improving what they're doing already, what what they've already got going and increasing their momentum or increasing their enjoyment of it, or whether it means um, finishing something that they started a long time ago that they never have quite gotten to the full capacity of finishing or starting something. So people come to me at all levels of their um, creative journey to help them to get the most out of what they want to do creatively. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine that it's so much fun to support these people through these journeys of creating things and finishing things. Finishing creative projects can be a bit tricky, right? Yes, yes. It really is so much fun. And it is. It really is so gratifying to help people um do what they want to do, because that's the thing. So often we have these ideas for creative projects and in our minds, it's so exciting and they look a certain way. And and then as we start to act very often, it doesn't look like how we think it's going to. And sometimes the emotional impact of that can be (laughs) trying, you know, it can be very difficult when what you want to do is not what's happening as you take the action to make it happen. So that is where I do think having somebody to talk to about what's normal creatively, you know, what we all experience, um, what, what is just, what can be expected to happen as we try to create, having somebody to be there with you, first of all, is quite rare, isn't it? Normally we're creating in a solitary sort of situation. So to have somebody to talk to about it is, is a rare and lovely thing. Um, but also, you know, just having somebody there to talk to normalizes so much of that experience and it helps us to then be like, oh, okay, back on the horse, you know, nothing's wrong with me. This is normal creatively. Somebody else gets it. I'm okay. Going to try again. (laughs) 
Yeah, I totally get that. And I see that a lot with what I do with podcasting, same kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of people want to start a podcast, but when they start it, they're like, oh, my podcast doesn't sound like NPR or, or whatever, you know, they're comparing them themselves to, uh, yeah. which is, of course, not what's going to happen. And my, even my podcast after four years does not sound like NPR and I don't really care that it doesn't anymore. But when you're getting started and you think, oh, who's going to listen to this? Well, someone will. And that's really great to never podcast alone, as I always say. Never yes. and and also to have a chance to create together. Yeah, that's really yes. nice. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, we'll definitely go back to this, but I want to get your coming to Japan story. Why are you here? How did you get here? You've been here 20 years, you about 20 years. Yeah. So I came in 2002, August 2002. Yes. How about you? So I just realized as I said that this year is 2022. I came in 20. 20- 2003. So it's been almost 19 years. 19 years, um, right. In April, it'll be 19 years. Um, yes, I came. So I was living, um, I'm from the US and I was living in Portland, Oregon, where I was a massage therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is fun, amazing, wonderful work. But I was, <laughs> I always say, you can't live in Portland, Oregon and throw a stick without hitting a massage therapist. Like we were just, oh. there were so many of us mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very hard to make a living at mm-hmm. it, you sure. know? And I had been abroad as a university student and I, I knew that I wanted to do that again. Um, but as a massage therapist, it was like, I, I can't even make enough money to like live, you know, how am I going to travel? So I thought I could combine making money and traveling by getting a job. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere elsewhere in the world. Hmm. So I did a bunch of research and um, I just felt so drawn to Japan as a place that was safe and open and felt, it just felt really good to me to come to Japan. So I applied for a job at Eon, the conversation. Hmm. (laughs) And I arrived, yes, during cherry blossom season in 2003 and um, worked at a school in Kichijoji in Tokyo um, for two years. And I originally thought I would stay for a year or two and maybe move on somewhere else and like have my adventure, yeah. you know. Favorite. Famous last words, yes. Famous last words <laughs> here 19 years later. Um, yeah. <laughs> I then, um, you know, developed a life here and met friends and met my husband, the, the man who's now my husband. And uh, yeah, it, I just it, little by little slowly kind of sunk into my life here in Japan. And every time I think of leaving, you know, it's not that I couldn't be tempted to go somewhere else. You know, the world is big and interesting, but um, Japan has been so good to me. Oh, you know, yes, it's very yes. often how mm. I think about it. Japan has helped me to have a beautiful life. I have two children who I love. I have a husband who's wonderful. Um, and I I just enjoy like the, the creativity of this culture is unparalleled. You know, walking around in Tokyo, seeing what people are doing and making just lights me up and excites me. And even when I see it on TV, you know, I see Tokyo on TV and I get like excited. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I live here, but I still feel excited by it. And I think that's something special, you know, to feel that way, even mm-hmm. after a, a couple of decades somewhere. Yeah, I feel that too. It's un- it gets under your skin somehow and then you can't get rid of it kind of thing, yes. <laughs> right? And I think it's also just so um, endlessly... I will never get bored of Japanese culture or the language. It's just not possible. You know, there's too much to discover and learn and understand. And I'm never going to cover all that territory, no matter how long I'm here. Even if I live here 120 years, you know, it'll still be interesting. There will will still be things that I don't know. So I really love that about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So we obviously you came as an Eon teacher. I came as a Nova teacher. So there's a uh-huh. lot of uh, synchronicities in, uh, <laughs> in our stories and same kind of time, you know, that was the way to come to Japan at that time. There weren't really any other kinds of jobs for foreigners so much as there is now. There's many, many ways you can come and work in Japan these days, mm-hmm. I feel. How did you go from being an Eon teacher to doing what you're doing now? 
That's a great question. It's been a long journey. Um, I haven't been an Eon teacher since 2005. <laughs> so after that, I did go into publishing. I, I worked for Eon writing their textbooks. And wow, really? Their, oh. Yes. Um, doing what's called kyozai kaihatsu. So like curriculum development. Um writing not just the textbooks, but like how the course should go through the year. Um, and I actually worked on books that were for fifth and sixth graders. So the age that my children are now, actually, my, my daughter is uh, about to go into sixth grade. Um, and yeah, so I wrote and, and edited at that job for a couple of years. And then I knew that I would like to have children. So I took a class in Japanese. I also knew that I would not be able to do that without improving my Japanese. My Japanese was not at the level where I could function in society by that right. point, because mm -hmm. I had really been working only in English specific jobs. So I took a, like an intensive course in Japanese and I had my son. And then very soon after a year and a half after I had my daughter, wow. um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and those years I, I did spend years focused solely on mothering. Um, and slowly I got back into writing and editing freelance. Um, but during that time when my kids were small, I had this feeling of like, I want to make something, but I, I don't know even what, like I felt the creative urge blocked within me. You know, I wanted to do something creative, but I felt so far from it in my like mothering fog <laughs> that it was distressing to me. I felt distressed, you know, that I couldn't do, and not only that I couldn't do what I wanted to do, but I didn't even know what I wanted to do. Mm, mm. I was so far from it. It was just this vague feeling of like, something is missing. Yeah. It's creativity. What do I even do? You know? And at that point, I, this is, the kind of person I am. I'm a researcher at heart. I love to research. And so I started researching about creative blocks. And in so doing, I found this training for creativity coaching. Mm. And when I started reading about it, you know, the thing that happens when you just start reading about something and, and, and a light goes on and you're like, yes, this. <laughs> so that's what happened. And this was back in 2012. Um, I took the training I did, it was a pretty intense training that involved um, a lot of practical work, practice with other people within the training group. And then we gradually moved out to um, other people who we knew. And so for about 10 years, I've been doing creativity coaching, um, starting with that, starting with that tiny little urge in myself that I couldn't, like a, an itch I couldn't scratch um, really took me to this work. Wow. How yeah. interesting. And this is 10 years we're talking. Coaching was hardly even a thing, right? 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Now coaching is like, everybody knows what coaching is, but yeah. 10 years ago, like, what do you need to coach for art for? What's the matter I with you? <laughs> <laughs> or for your creative, you need a coach for your creativity. What's your problem? Uh, but now it's like, of course I need a coach for my creativity. My creativity needs to be coached or whatever aspect of your life you want help with. It's That's much right. more ex like accepted or known about these days. That's right. Well, and I think especially for creativity, people might think, well, if I need a coach, that must mean I'm not really creative. Right. I, I obviously I don't, shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I should just put the paintbrush down and go back yeah. to whatever I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually think the reverse is true. I think that creative people, <laughs> you wouldn't be blocked unless you had the creative urge. You know, you wouldn't have any kind of impediment to your creativity if you didn't have that creative urge and that feeling. Mm. And blocks are just a natural part of creating. They happen to every creator. Like Hayao Miyazaki has been blocked. <laughs> anybody, <No. laughs> who's <written any> novel, <laughs> anybody who's made any movie, anybody who's done any creative thing yeah. Yeah. has felt an obstruction to their creativity at some point, and even regularly, it is a part of the creative process to feel that frustration or that mm, something's not right. Like those feelings are just part of it. Just like if you are running a marathon, there are obstacles. Anything that we're doing, 
that is worth doing involves obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so when we have somebody who gets it and can talk to us about it and help us through it, like a coach, like a, a sports coach too, mm-hmm. that's what athletic coaches do as well is to help you through, you know, if you're a soccer player, you don't think, well, I don't need a coach, mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. it should be easy. <laughs> I should know how to do this. Yeah. I should right. know how to play soccer. Right. Olympic level. Yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Easily in the first day. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. And what's the point in that? Yeah. There's no fun in that actually. Right. If it's so easy and you don't struggle a little bit and yeah, I can see how having, I I mean, I love using coaching to get myself to do various things that otherwise I might avoid or I I want to do, but I don't really know how to do it. And that guidance is like a fast track to, to doing it. Yes, it really is. It really can get you where you want to go, not only in a way that is smoother, but also in a way that is emotionally more fulfilling for you. Mm. There's a lot less struggle when you have somebody Mm. alongside you who is normalizing the process for you and helping you see in a 360 from a 360 vantage point, like things that you cannot see for yourself from where you are in your own creative process. It's emotionally a lot easier and a lot less painful. Mm -hmm. What's one of those 360 view things that people can't see that pops up quite often? Yeah, it's uh, there's an announcement going on. I don't know if that's. Oh, it's the J alert. Yeah. Yes. Well, right now we're having the J alert. This is a practice (laughs) for when missiles get launched at Japan. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's 11 o'clock. I knew that was going to happen at 11 o'clock. But are you having it there too? I didn't Uh, know. Supposedly, but my phone's not bleeping. And I should be getting an email, I think, from the city saying this is a practice. Anyway, we might leave that this in. This is end. a fun little bit of life yeah. in Japan for people. That soon was the end. So Yeah, that's a neighborhood yeah. announcement system you have in your area. We don't have that's one right. of those here. My yeah. my family in Totori has one in their living room and their sorry, in their dining room, and it goes off every morning and every night with the um, village announcements. Wow. And it's so painfully boring most of the time. <laughs> but we all have to sit there quietly and listen <laughs> while they go through all the announcements about all the sort of little things that are happening in their teeny weeny village. <laughs> Sometimes my father-in-law's on there announcing something about the, I like to call it the old dude's Kai, the, the old really? men, you know, who, who'd make all the decisions about the village Get it, and gets yeah. on there and says, oh, we're having our meeting tonight at eight o'clock at the, the hall. And we all sit there and listen to him. Anyway, that's just a little fun little aside about Japan. Um, and what I was saying before we were uh, interrupted by the, the J alert practice was, yeah, what are some of these 360 things that a creativity coach can see that people in in their wherever they are can't see? What are some things that pop up that Yeah, that it's a great often? Hmm. Yeah. Well, very often, you know, when we are in any situation for ourselves, you know, what we see is only our own vantage point. You know, that's just the nature of being a person, right? We can only see from our own point of view. And let's say, for example, you're trying to write a novel and as you're writing, you come upon a block of like, well, I don't, I don't, I just feel like the plot isn't working. I don't know what to do about the plot. Here's everything that's happening. There are these holes. It must mean that I shouldn't be doing this. Mm. It must mean whatever we make it. Burn it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We make stories in our heads, you know, based on, that's also a normal human thing to do. Mm. (laughs) Um, And what, excuse me, what a coach can do very often is come in and say, right, yeah, that is a very common thing to feel at this time, at this juncture in where you are in your project. It makes sense that you're feeling this because um, you've reached a point in your project where you've put a lot of work into it. Maybe it's starting to get a little boring. Maybe there's some other stuff that, you know, feels like it's, you know, if you have shiny stuff syndrome, something else starts feeling. (laughs) (laughs) This is all very normal. It's a normal part of the process and it doesn't mean anything, you know, unless you make it mean that. So we get to decide what the meaning is of whatever is happening. And 
when we're in that situation ourselves, when we're the novelist, we're the one trying to write, it's so easy to believe the inner narrative, that internal narrative that comes through our brain, that comes galloping through as if it's the truth. Yes. But having one other person there to say, or even just to ask questions, Mm -hmm. you know, is it helps to pull us out of that perspective Mm -hmm. and give us a wider vantage point of, oh, okay, right. Maybe I don't have to believe that thought. Maybe there are other options. Mm -hmm. And that alone, even if that happens one time in the whole process, it's incredibly liberating, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. But to have it through the process really helps to pull us out of those points faster and help us to get to, again, like to take away that emotional volatility or heaviness that can come along with create with creating anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really helps to make the whole experience more fun. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah I totally have experienced that same thing. Like most weeks I'll be like, well, I think I should just blow up my business and walk away from it, you know, even <laughs> though things are going really well. <laughs> and it's just because I have these random thoughts that come into my head that are not true. And yeah, I'm just noticing, okay, you're having one of those thoughts. Let's just not listen to yourself right now because that is not helpful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll go to sleep, wake up the next day. Like, what was that all about? Move on. Yeah. But I have been able to come to that through practice. Yeah. Practicing, noticing that, oh, these thoughts that I'm having, I'm, I'm a human having a thought that's not helpful right now. And uh, yeah, move on. Or, you know, obviously I don't want people to not like trust their judgment or trust their intuition and all of that, but then there's a difference between that and self-sabotage as well. Right. How do you know? Do you have any insights into that? I do. Yes. Ooh, this is yay, tell us. This yes. is my favorite topics. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I think very often the voice that is trying to stop us, you know, the, I think of it as a protector. This is a voice that it's, it's a fear. It's fear, really. Um, and it's trying to protect us because the human brain is made <laughs> to keep us alive. Sure. You know, and so we have this inner protector that feeds us these thoughts that say stop, you know, and they can come in any form. They can come in the form of like, oh, let's not get out of bed today. Or why don't we watch Netflix instead? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't there some dishes that need to be done? Like Mm -hmm. they can really come in any form. And when the thoughts come in a form that is, uh, that feels constricted in your body, if you feel your body getting tight, you know, like that chest caving in kind of feeling, or like you feel tight around it, usually that is the fear voice, the protector voice. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pay attention to it. Very often that voice, what it needs is loving attention. It does not need us to fight back against it, us, against it, because it is good for us. It is for us. It's our friend. It wants to keep us alive. It wants to keep Mm, us safe mm. and protected. It's not our enemy. What it needs is for us to say, oh, yes, I hear you. I hear you. You would rather do the dishes than go paint because painting is something new and you're feeling a little scared about it. I get that, you know, in those kinds of situations. And this is another like little side note that we could maybe a path that we could take later, but I very often suggest to people that they just do it the tiniest step possible in like, let's say you do want to paint, like you could just go and like um, open your paint set. Your water <laughs> yeah. Go and look and at your it. paint stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And leave it and go wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. And then that inner protector is like, Oh, she opened the paint set and nothing bad happened. Mm. Maybe this is actually okay. You know? Mm. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that to me, is how we know whether it's a fear voice or not, as we feel that closing down and that tightening up and that no, like, Mm. but when something is intuitive, when something is our Mm. intuitive, um, instinctual voice, it feels more like a yes. It feels more flowing and open and um, like even physically open you know, like your chest is opening. There's that almost like sparkly kind of feeling that you sometimes get when something feels good, like it's the right thing to do. 
that's how we know something is intuition, you know? So even if your intuition is telling you this is not the right path, it's going to feel in a way like a rightness to it. You know, there is a different sense in your body than there is when it's a, just like a fear, close you down, don't do anything, stop right now kind of feeling. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. 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 And so that fear voice or feeling can almost always be pacified by a little bit of self-love or self-kindness that you would, as you would show your own children when they're scared, basically. Exactly. You, know, you don't shout at them and go, oh, what's the matter with you? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Get on with it. You're like, okay, you're feeling scared. Okay. Let's, let's do this together or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yes, that's what exactly. you need. Mm. Because that part of you, that fear part of all of us is located like neurobiologically in the amygdala, which is our, you know, reptile brain is the oldest, most primitive part of our brain yeah. that is there literally to keep us alive, Mm. you know, like to stop you from being hit by a bus or like, it's not sophisticated. It doesn't really understand the full complexity of the situation. All it knows is she wants to do something new. I better stop her. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm worried that this might be a dangerous thing for us to do. And my job is to keep us from dying. And I don't know if the new thing might kill us. (laughs) So I better tell her to wash the dishes instead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so tell us a story about someone who got through this. Like, you, you don't have to give names or anything, but yeah, okay. I'd love to hear a story <laughs> or an example of someone who was like too scared to paint or, or whatever, but somehow got through it. Yes. Okay. Well, um, I do have, I have a wonderful client um, who is a visual artist. She does a a number of different things. Um, She's both a painter. She works with ceramics. She sometimes also does um, fabric arts and that type of thing. Um, And when we first started working together, she has a studio in her house. And she told me that she didn't even want to go in there, like just going in there felt like a kind of pressure, you know, Mm. because it does happen that way. So when we have been not working for a little while, for whatever reason, we got a cold or, you know, our kids needed our help or whatever it is for a while, if we have stopped working, it can feel like, oh, there's so much pressure. I have to, and I should, and why didn't I, and all of these voices, you know, that the Mm. thoughts that come in that tell us something's wrong with you that you haven't been working, right? Anytime she tried to go into her studio, those voices would kind of come in and it felt bad. So she didn't want to go in there. You know, that makes total sense to me. (laughs) And so what we did together was we worked on, um, when I talk about that protector, that, you know, that part of us that wants to um, give us little obstacles so that we're safe, what we did together was um, we started to personify that part of her. So I said, like, if that was a character, what kind of character would it be? And she, you know, kind of just like reflected for a moment and said, it's a clown. It's like, it's one of those clowns. Scary clown. <laughs> scary, but also like kind of goofy. And, you know, it, it, it wants to stop me from Mm -hmm. like climbing the stairs to Mm -hmm. my studio. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about how she could have a conversation with this character and give him the reassurance that he needed to feel like, oh, okay, you know, it's actually okay. So what she did was we started with these small steps, which I mentioned earlier. The, The first thing she did was she literally climbed the stairs, opened the door and left. That was enough because what her fear character needed to feel was nothing bad's going to happen if we go in that room. And then the next small step was, this is probably why I mentioned painting earlier, was to open up her paints and put the paper on the desk and leave. Mm. And little by little, as she started to do that, her clown (laughs) character Mm. began to relax. And she could, she actually said she imagined him like sitting in a beanbag chair in the room, 
just hanging out because he felt <laughs> relaxed, <laughs> realizing like nothing bad's going to happen in here, you know? And once you do, even if I know that like the small steps sound ridiculous, they sound like they're not going to work. And what I often say to people is like, they work exactly because of that, because they're so tiny that they seem stupid. That fear protector part of you is like, well, that doesn't count. That doesn't matter. It's not enough to get that part of you to block you. And once that protector part of you sees, oh, you know, we can go in that room or we can open the paint set, nothing bad happens. Then it's almost like an avalanche of mm. creative energy can come through. Wow. That's yeah. a really great story. And so if you've never experienced it before, you might be wondering, wow, was that a thing? But I certainly have. And I can, yeah, like from whatever reason or childhood, you know, someone said your painting is terrible, you know, in a third grade art class or something um, that you don't want to do something creative or, you know, I've been doing a lot of creative stuff, creating and making all these things for my clients I'm like, where is this coming from I've never done this before I've never thought of myself as someone who could do this but look at me doing this and it kind of feels like a muscle that yeah. that I'm I've built up in this particular area of area where I, before I would have said don't ask me I get overwhelmed and I don't know what to do which is is basically what I've always said in the past please create these visual graphics or something let's use visual graphics that we use for podcasts as an example never wanted to do them before because I was like don't ask me to choose the colors I, there's just too many colors and I don't know and I'm overwhelmed and no I need to take a nap <laughs> right <laughs> but now I'm like actually I think this will be good or why don't we just steal those colors and and, and modify them a bit or whatever um you're building building that creativity muscle as well just like you would build your running muscles or your Japanese speaking muscle that's another muscle listening to Japanese for hours and hours on end and being able to not be exhausted by the end right that's another kind of muscle that we definitely have here in Japan yes it's exactly like that it is exactly like that and you know I what I often ask people to do too to help them build their confidence is to think of something that you have already done in the past whether it's creative or not where you had to move past obstacles mm-hmm how did you do it? You know, yeah. what helps you to move past the obstacles? Because we each have very different ways of dealing with whatever is in our way, mm-hmm. you know, creatively or otherwise. It's why I think that, you know, very prescriptive ideas of how to get through creative blocks very often don't work. You know, if you read a book by Stephen Pressfield, like, you know, The War of Art or Julia Cameron, like The Artist's Way, and you try to do what they want you to do and it doesn't work for you, very often, you know, people can think, oh no, this must mean like something's wrong with me because Stephen Pressfield and Julia Cameron, these are giants of the field and they know what they're talking about. But the fact is that any prescriptive way of doing anything very often doesn't work for us because we are our own unique individuals with our own unique ways of going about things, um, our own unique ways of solving problems, our own unique um, obstacles that come up for us frequently. And so when we have an external source kind of telling us what to do, um, sometimes it can cause more, it can do more harm Mm. than good Mm -hmm. because what we really need is to look within ourselves. What works for me as a person? Mm-hmm. And looking to our past experiences can really help us do that because we already have a treasure trove of information about ourselves, what works and what doesn't. If you know that waking up at 5 a.m. to create something does not work for you, no matter who tells you to do it, it's still not <laughs> yeah. going to work for you, you yeah. know? So I really find that also extremely valuable in terms of the coaching relationship mm-hmm. to have an individual who can look at you as an individual and say, ah, well, it seems to me that maybe you don't like waking up at 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> Could that be part of it? <laughs> You're a night owl and you should be creating at midnight, not 5 a.m. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I think that's another example of the 360 perspective also. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we can't see that from our own point of view because we just think 
well, this book that I read said that waking up at 5am is the way to do it. Mm. So that's what I should do. And if it doesn't work for me, that must mean something is wrong with me. Not Mm. the case. Mm. Yeah. It's always good to, to read, you know, to read and find these things, but to know that potentially that person wasn't struggling with the same things you're struggling with. So that may not be the answer to your problems. And I, you know, like productivity is another one where people who put out productivity books never really struggled with productivity in a way that people who really struggle with productivity struggle. Right. So yeah, that's, it's just an, a place to find ideas that maybe could work and maybe not, but yeah, looking, looking within like, yeah, you generally have everything you need within to, figure it out somehow. And yeah, using someone like Paige, someone like you to help people see that. Yeah. Hold the mirror up for you and stand with you and look in the mirror can be really, really nice way to do it. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of the things, like if people want to hang out more with you, what can they do? Yeah. So I have a few different things that I do. I have a weekly free session that I do, which you joined uh, a few weeks ago, and I loved having you there. It's called co-creation time. And co-creation time happens uh, every Monday morning at 8.30 Japan time. And what it is, is basically we get together in a group over Zoom, and everybody is individually in their own homes doing their own creative project. So we might have somebody painting, another person doing guitar, another person writing. People are working on their own thing. And we spend about five minutes at the beginning talking about uh, what we're up to, you know, just letting each other know today I'm going to do, you know, like a painting project. And after we all say hi and talk to each other, we mute our mics and we work. We do whatever it is that we're hoping to work on that day. And what is amazing about this container, this space, is that having the other people there working alongside you creates a kind of momentum, like a creative momentum that is, to me, incredibly empowering. I get more done in that hour of the week than I might get done in three hours on another day, Mm. in part because I know that my friends are there doing it with me. Um, And they're, they're also just coming from all over the world. And it's really cool to hear oh, this person's in Canada and doing this, and this person's in Australia and doing this, and these people are in Japan. You know, I love that feeling of connection of pe- with people all over the world being creative at the same time. So we're doing that. And then we spend about five minutes at the end coming back together and saying, this is how it went and cheering each other on. Um, sometimes we'll show each other what we did. If it's a showable thing, there is um, one person who joins almost every week who loves to practice guitar during that time. And he very often will show us, you know, what he practiced that day. Um, So that's one offering that I have uh, that's offered weekly. I also have monthly workshops. So I'm working on um, offering. It's just a one hour thing that is actually this month. the, The topic is soothing your inner critic. So (laughs) timely (laughs) connects back to what we were talking about. Mm. Um, And next month in March, it will be um, about the voice, like finding your, your creative voice. Mm. Um, So those monthly workshops are an hour long. They are usually at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, Japan time. Um, And you can find those on my website. And then I do also have um, a writing group that I do. Mm. So writing is my great passion. I love many things creatively, but uh, writing is really at the core of who I am creatively. Um, And that is also once a month on the first Friday of every month in the evening. So all of that is available Mm. on my website to find more, find out more about. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I only managed to get there once to their creativity. Uh, what's it called? The create. Yeah, yeah. And I was just blown away by the creativeness of everyone and how much fun everyone was having in their own little boxes on Zoom. Like obviously, everybody's <laughs> in a different country or a different place doing something different. 
And yeah, it totally lifted my game on, yeah, I'm going to knuckle down. I'm going to bring all my creative juices to this, this project that I want to work on for the next sort of like 50 minutes, right? That you've got mm-hmm. sort of five minutes each side. And then coming back and oh, how did it, how did this, you know, someone was cleaning out their, their basement. That's that right. was one. And right. they showed us the crazy and wild things that they found when they were cleaning out <laughs> their basement. It was so much fun. Um, and somebody, uh, some other, even very small members of your group were doing amazing things. And it was just really inspiring to hear, oh, a book or a poem. Oh, what would it be like if I wrote a poem? You know, I think it just, yeah, lifts everybody's game but it also just inspires everyone forward as well so yeah that's a really wonderful service that you have that people can come and enjoy on a Monday morning and it's lovely to have that connection to start the week off on a positive note with some like creating something or maybe ticking something off that that you wanted to do in your creative world before you dive into all the things you have to do for other people you know, your inbox or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It really, and, and also I think what happens is that once you are creating something, even if you're working on it and 50 minutes is a small chunk of it, you have started. And very often that's enough momentum to really get you going and keep you going mm. for quite a while, mm. which is part of what I like about it. And yes, many people do use the time for clearing space for their creativity. So cleaning, yeah. Mm. Yeah. emptying their inbox, you know, doing the things they have to do on a, like a clerical level to make the emotional or mental space or physical mm. space to be able to create yeah. that also is totally welcome. It's not just for, you know, doing something creative. Oh, and I should also mention that it's completely free. That one. Yeah. Is yeah. Free. Such a great service. Thank you for providing mm-hmm. that for in, anyone. And you don't have to be in Japan. Obviously you can nope. be anywhere as long as you can join at that time. It's not recorded or anything. There's no, like that's, that's right. not the point. Yeah. Um, it's to show up live and to be there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, before we finish up today, I want to ask you my final question, which is about Japan, bringing us back to Japan. What's your only in Japan experience or when you thought, oh, I'm definitely in Japan now, which is something really, that's a, a great insight to Japan that you've, you've experienced. Could be yeah. recently or a long time ago. I know sometimes it all becomes a blur when we've been here so long. <laughs> it really does. It's, you know, I, I was thinking the other day that I've been here, you know, almost as long as I lived in my home country. Yeah. I'm getting there too. Yeah. yeah, mm. It's interesting. So sometimes, yeah, it does feel like a bit of a, a blur, but I, I think that for me, a big part of my um, integration into Japanese society has been schooling my children's yeah. schools mm. because, well, for one thing, I think that the elementary schools are almost like how they are the foundation of Japanese society. In many ways you learn how to participate in society in a Japanese elementary school in a way that you don't anywhere else. And so for me, um, helping my children through elementary school has been huge. Also for almost as if I'm going to elementary school too, there's a yeah. lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my son, he's now um, in his first year of middle school, but when he was in third grade, um, back in the pre-COVID days, um, Every year they would have these parent meetings, you know, so at the beginning of the year, the middle of the year and the end of the year, they had these meetings where you'd go in and most often it was mothers, but sometimes grandparents or dads would come too. Um, and you'd talk about your child, you know, so the teacher would give a little presentation about things. And then one by one, each person would stand up and talk a bit about their child. And on that day, this would have been the last meeting of my son's third grade year. I happened to be the very last person who was going to talk, which is always, as you might've experienced too, a bit of a bonus because you get to hear other people first and think like, okay, (laughs) what should I say? Literally copying what everybody else has already said. (laughs) Thank you. I'll take that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like the greetings, you know, like. Yep. What's the appropriate (laughs) greeting in this situation? Thank you. Someone's given me that little, yeah, leg up. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) So it make the foreigner go first. Yeah. 
I would forget those things for sure. Yeah. So I was last and everyone had been saying like a, something that their child had struggled with that year. So I stood up and I said, my son is struggling with learning kanji, like the kanji in the third grade, they really kick up to being um, a little harder. And there's also more of them. I think third grade might be the year that there are the most, um, like the number of kanji is the mm, most learned. Mm. So I was saying, you know, we speak English at home. You know, it's, we don't use Japanese at home. And I didn't learn kanji in my elementary school because I didn't go to Japanese elementary school. So I don't really know how to help him. And sometimes it's really difficult for me. And I have this very visual memory of looking out over the sea of faces and seeing this simultaneous look of shock come over everyone's face. And I had this moment of just not understanding, like what, what did I do? What did I say? Because all of us, when we're speaking any foreign language, anyone who's ever spoken a foreign language has had the moment of saying something that they think is right and fine. And the other person they're talking to being like, what, you know, <laughs> yeah. what did then, you just say? Did you really just mean you want to shoot me? You, uh, right, oh, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> but at that moment, I couldn't understand what I had said that was wrong. You know, I just knew that I had said something wrong. So I felt that feeling of like, oh man, I just said something wrong in front of 30 people who are my son's peers' parents. parents. who I have to deal with for the next three years. Yes. <laughs> you, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what was wrong. So after I asked um, someone who I knew, and she also speaks English, but I think we were having the conversation in Japanese. I can't remember. But anyway, I asked her, like, what happened? You know, like, what did I say? And she said, well... You know, when you mentioned English, I think some people feel sensitive about that because they want their children to be able to speak English. And your son is a native English speaker. And so maybe there's some sensitivity there for them about that. And I was just so surprised. Like, I thought she was going to say, you know, you made this grammar mistake or you made this vocabulary mistake or, you know, you said that you're really an alien and, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> without meaning to mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that has happened before you yeah, know I've yeah. made that kind of mistake or seen that kind of look on the faces mm. of my <laughs> the people I'm talking to so I was just really surprised by that um because of course I know that English is highly valued here it's what brought me to Japan was that people wanted to learn English I wouldn't be here if people didn't prize the ability to speak English yeah. but I was very surprised that that would be the response when I'm a native English speaker and yeah. that everybody knows it. Um, Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, you know, in some way I, I, I could frame it as a compliment that they were looking at me as completely their peer, you know, mm -hmm. they weren't looking at me as a foreigner in Japan. Mm. They were looking at me as another mother and you know, there are times as a foreigner in Japan when you feel like, just could you just see me like a person, just a normal person? Yeah, just normal, you know? yeah, just like you, yeah. Yeah, and they were doing that for me, mm, actually, mm. in that moment. They were just seeing me as another mother. And when I spoke about English, they were shocked because if a Japanese mother had done that, it would have maybe felt like bragging or, you know, something mm. like that. Mm. So... When I frame it in that way, it feels like, okay, well, that's, you know, kind of nice that they were seeing me as one of them and not somebody weird and special and foreign, you know, but yeah. it was also confusing, you know. Yeah, my totally. And, you know, just listening to you recount this experience I can, I'm right there with you in the classroom and going, <laughs> why is everybody looking at me like that? What have I said? That has happened so many times. And yeah, how, like, is the topic of English such a minefield? You know, the yeah. fact that something that's so natural to you to speak your own language, we are obviously lucky that our own language is English and that it's highly coveted yes. these days by parents in Japan wanting their kids to be bilingual and putting in a lot of time, effort and money into their children to try to make that happen. Whereas, you know, for us, it's, it's not 
of course it's not automatic. It takes work as well, mm-hmm. but we do have a very high, you know, at the upper edge, <laughs> significant um, benefits to being uh, native speakers of English in Japan and giving that environment to our kids when they come home. But yeah, yeah our kids also have to put up with a parent who did not do third grade elementary <laughs> school and can't read the kanji or maybe they can, but they don't know that that particular reading of the kanji, like Yomikata. Yesterday, my daughter, actually yesterday, my daughter was testing me on her fourth grade homework. Mummy, mm-hmm. do you know this one? And I'm like, I got some of them or I was pretty close. And other ones, I was just like, yeah, no. And she took great pleasure in telling me <laughs> the meaning of them. And I'm like, well, that's good. At least you know, because at least you know what your homework says, because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, we obviously sometimes we have to get the iPhone out and look stuff up together and oh, and, yes. and things, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, my first grade son, I can still help him. We're still at the you know, like yes. river stream tree kind of thing, <laughs> but he's already getting to the point where he doesn't believe me. And yesterday he was asking me, What's the kanji for um sakini? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because he just learned it at school, but he's kind of like forgotten. And I'm like, it's the same kanji as the sen and sensei. And he's like, it is not. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And so we get the phone out. I'm like, look. Mm-hmm. And um, so he believed the phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he hadn't made the connection that um, sensei sen can also be saki ni saki, right? Like, and I, so he hadn't, he did get that connection after our discussion. So I'm like, well, yay, but oh my God, what a drama just for that. <laughs> Um, all parents experience this. Be nice to know. But yeah, this is what we're dealing with that the Japanese parents obviously have zero idea of. And even my husband, who's right here in the house, doesn't understand my struggles to understand the children's maths homework or it's in Japanese, like nightmare. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I feel you on that page. And I'm sure many of our listeners out there will be also feeling you on that very Japanese uh, experience of being in Japan. Very like whether it's in a school or at your office and you say something and everybody looks at you like you've just stepped off a spaceship. Um, <laughs> yeah, it happens. And I'm sure it happens all over the world, not just Japan. Oh, yeah. Right. But yeah, there's that experience, especially in the classroom, right in front of 30 people. <laughs> you're like measuring their kid up against your kid anyway yeah where I live like English is very highly coveted by the parents who are very educationally focused and minded and I hear a lot of com- discussion from my daughter about oh so and so does this many naraigoto so after school yeah. activities yeah and I only do one and I'm like you're doing naraigoto every day after you get home from school okay. that's your English you're having English for Four hours after school every day. I don't think your classmates are doing English. <laughs> you know, even though it's their native, another one of their languages, they're working on it in different ways in our house. So yes, you were only going to one naraigoto outside of the house. This is how we manage. She's like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, oh, you think I just let you watch Netflix for an hour and a half every day. You think that I just, it's actually, you are learning English, right? She's like, oh, yeah. 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 I'm like, mm, Yeah. <laughs> And then they'll start saying stuff to you. It always surprises me when they say stuff to me that I never say. So yeah. I know they learned it from Netflix or wherever. Yeah. You know? yeah. My son said the other day, um, my daughter was talking to him saying something and he was like, I'm not following. <laughs> and somehow <laughs> I was like, I don't say that. So <laughs> I can't remember the last time I said I'm not following. Mm-hmm. So he must have learned it from TV. Somewhere. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. And it's pretty cool, actually. It is pretty cool. And how lucky are we? Like, do you remember, like, even, like, five or six years ago, how hard it was to get English stuff for our kids to spend time with? Yes. Books or TV. And now it's just like, okay, what are you going to do? Netflix or Amazon Prime? Or are you going to yeah. read a book online? Or, you know, which of the bazillion books that we can get on Audible for you? Or, you yeah. know, online libraries and all these things that we have. It's fabulous for for us so we are very very lucky and my daughter was born totally different right yes Mm. my son was born in 2008 and back then oh god 
Mm. I mean, (laughs) the whole landscape was totally different. We didn't Mm. even have, I think smartphones had been invented, but most people didn't have them. I had a clamshell phone in the hospital. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's just totally different than it was back Mm. then. You're incredibly lucky also for ourselves too, you know, just connection with our, with our own language and our own culture in a way. When I first came here, you know, books, I love to read. I just would be in pain from lack mm, of books, mm, you know, and yeah. searching for books was like a big part of how I spent my free time and they were expensive. Yeah, really yeah. Hard. <laughs> so like I had to fit into my budget, <laughs> how many books I could have, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, now I can listen, I can read, I can, I can really actually read as much as I want to now, mm. which was not possible. Totally. Right. Yeah. I actually discovered something recently and I know we're getting sort of off track here, but I think this is important to mention. I discovered something recently about my library here Mm. in Japan. Um, The books that are on the shelf are just a tiny fraction of what they actually have. So even the English section is probably a good sort of like five or six big shelves worth of English books and I always look at them and go there's such a random collection of books here where's <laughs> the first one in this series why is it not on the shelf why do they only have this one mm-hmm. but then when I go and I actually look in the catalog I'll find that oh they do actually have these books I just have to request them because they're in the back shelf room oh. and that my library has a massive back shelf area which you actually can see that they've got this big glass wall where you can go and look at this like machine that goes around and picks up all the books off the it's kind of like Harry Potter you know and they have all the books like like from floor to ceiling massive (laughs) shelves and you could there's a place where you can go and look at it and then that's where all the books are so even if you go to your local library and you're like there's no books here may not be the case that if you search in the in their um, searching system you may find way more books than you expect which is what I noticed recently. Very good learning. That is great to know. Yeah, I had, mm. I had never heard that, but that is great to know. Yes. Hey, like, I mean, and I live in Fukushima. So if you're in Tokyo, right. potentially even better situation for you. Yeah, I'm sure there are plenty. I But we, I've had the same situation of looking at the one shelf with maybe like the one, what do you call it? Hondana, like with six shelves in it, like, and looking at it being like, this is it. This is all you have. Like, is that is- all they have it? at the library you go to yeah the closest Maybe. library to me doesn't have much although I will admit because they didn't have much I haven't gone back recently mm. you know to it's look a perpetuating but, spiral of right. the <laughs> shelf space shrinking yeah, yeah. so yeah. I should I should go back and look and see what else they have there yeah I check their online catalog now mm-hmm. potentially as well yeah so recently I don't even have to go to the library I just right. go online select the books and they get delivered to my local community center. And I just go and pick them up when they're delivered. And then I drop them back off again. Because the library is a good 30-minute drive from my right. house, the central library, where the big shelves of all the okay, right. English books are. So that's a very Inaka kind of description of, <laughs> of going to the <laughs> library. But that's another service that they have that a lot of people <laughs> don't know about is that you can you don't actually have to go to the central library. Perhaps it's far away, like the big flash library, but you can get that delivered closer to you and just go and pick them up down the street as well. So, Wonderful. Yeah. Mm, there wonderful. you go. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> well, Paige, it's been so nice to spend this time with you, to get to know you a little bit more, to hear about what you're doing. And yeah, I really hope lots of listeners will start to show up for the Monday morning creativity co-creation sessions. And I really like to get in there a little bit more. I have to think about rearranging my schedule prioritizing my own creative projects over mm-hmm. all of the other things I have to do in my daily <laughs> life. Yeah. I would love to see you anytime. Yeah. Summer. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We'll catch you again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me today. It was lovely to talk to you. So that was the interview with Paige. I hope you enjoyed hearing all about creativity and creativity coaching and her co-creation time that she has on Monday mornings. You'll be able to find links for that in the show notes. And I think the part of the episode that spoke to me the most was at the end when Paige shared her very Japanese moment or a moment that it stood out to her about life in Japan is having that moment when you say something everybody looks at you and you're not sure if you've said something grammatically incorrect or 
culturally incorrect or whatever. And sometimes it can be really hard to find someone who will explain why everybody was so sort of shocked or what you've done wrong. So having that insight that Paige got from her friend for my own life, I feel was a a huge bonus in that story. So I really want to thank Paige for sharing that quite vulnerable story about being the the person being stared at by 30 people in the classroom. I know I've had that happen as well and sort of was left wondering, is it me? What have I said? And, you know, usually people are fairly forgiving to me, which I appreciate. But yeah, just knowing. Okay, so in that case, maybe that could have been heard as potentially bragging or that even though in my my intention was not to brag, but just to explain what it's like or to share my reality, which is that I don't understand third grade kanji. And it's quite not humiliating, but it is. Yeah, it's not fun being illiterate in, <laughs> in your daily life and not being able to help your kid with their homework. So thank you so much for sharing that page. And that's all for this week. I will see you again soon with more wonderful interviews with wonderful women in Japan doing great things. Take care. Bye.